на трибунах холеют знамена, облака под небесь и плывут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We certainly have some very interesting topics to go through this week, all to do with Russian football, of course. We're going continental and domestic this season, and I'm delighted to say we have a debutante on the podcast. That's uh, Richard Pike. How are you, Richard? Good evening, guys. I'm very well, thank you. Um, Delighted this is my first podcast. Huge thank you to James for organising it for me. And that is, of course, who is on the other end. That's James Nichols. I must say, our new editor-in-chief. Just um, quickly, big thanks to, of course, Toka Thilaid, regular guest on this podcast, did a fantastic job with the website, really got it up and running when it was a bit down, really got it promoted and really well-respected. And James has taken that mantle and will be running with it. Yeah, and it's a big mantle as well. Great Dan, as Toka's known as. Yeah. I think when he took over, the site had a couple of hundred Twitter followers and a couple of hundred views per year at the time, actually. And, He's transformed into one of the behemoths of Russian football. So thanks to Toka for everything that he's done. I just hope that I can step into his shadow at the very least. Um, from what I've seen, James, you do a fantastic job beforehand and you're doing one already. So that's good. <laughs> and actually quickly, Richard, just because we like to do this a bit, where, where are you at the moment? I'm originally, I'm in Manchester at the moment. Um, I live in Manchester now. I'm originally from Wigan. I'm a Wigan Athletic season ticket holder. And um, I live in Manchester and work in Manchester now. And um, um, my interest in Russian football, first, my first memory of it was Spartak defeating Arsenal four goals to one in the 2000-2001 Champions League. I also remember Lokomotiv's magnificent run in the 2003-04 competition and when they, when they defeated Inter Milan and also played Arsenal. And I also have some great memories of Zenit and Rubin Kassan achieving some great results in uh, European football as well. This is turning into a bit of an inquest, Richard, so you have to apologise. But um, would you have a preferred team in Russia at all? No, I'm a neutral, actually. Um, I, I watch Russian football with a neutral head on. And you watch it for its exciting goal-mouth action, of course. Um, not. Right. So... No, not. I support Wigan <laughs> yeah. Athletic. I'm used to Dross. Don't worry about no, that's that. That's very true. <laughs> FA Cup winners, though. No one can take that away from you. Um, so let's Absolutely just... not, no. Exactly. Let's get straight to the um, the European results then. So last week we had uh, the first round of fixtures in both the Champions League and the Europa League, of course. So just a quick uh, rundown of the results. In the Champions League, uh, last year's champions, Lokomotiv Moscow, went down 3-0 to uh, Galatasaray in Turkey. And then we had Victoria Pilsen, uh, of course, who uh, drew with Siska Moscow 2-2. Uh, um, Siska actually did come back from 2-0 down, but we'll go into the ramifications of that result. Um, Europa League, we had uh, Rapid Vienna, and they beat Spartak Moscow 2-0. Then we had uh, Ahisar in uh, Turkey. Sorry if I've butchered that, anybody. Um, they lost to Krasnodar. A good result for our, our Russian team there. And then Zenit drew away 1-1 at Danish team FC Copenhagen uh, would love to have heard Toka's thoughts on that but we'll have to cope with these two guests for now but um, <laughs> J- James I'll come to you first let's let's go with the Galatasaray result the Loco result this is really and actually every team wanted Locomotive in the draw out of that first pot and this is a really yeah. bad start for them yeah it's the worst of starts I mean Locomotive I looked at it's, it's the whole group's a very even group I think there's not much divide in the teams to be honest but because of local being in pot one, but I think Galat- looking at Galatasaray away, Galatasaray are not really the giants of football as you've seen maybe five, ten years ago. They're going through a very transitional period, and I thought local maybe on last year's form could have stolen at least a point. But local last season and this season are just a completely different story. 
I think it's it's the issues that kind of are underlying last year when they just kept drag, dragging out these champion winning one nil victories week in week out. There was always like underlying issues of the overall age of the squad, the lack of pace at the back. What if a key player gets injured? In this season, I mean, Denisov was is is not performing whatsoever. He's been truly, truly terrible for Lokomotiv Moscow, and he was. In my eyes, even though they had so many stars, I think Denisov was really the core of that team. He was the most important player. He kept everything ticking over in midfield. And he was, he's been nowhere this season. But on the game itself, they just got ran ragged. Now, local, you'd expect to prefer to City soak a pressure and hit on the counter. Well, that's exactly what happened, but they didn't hit on the counter. They just they know it. They don't have that sort of steely edge that they had last season. And I think we've been waxing lyrical over uh, Solomon Kirkvelia for about a year now, just how brilliant he has been. And he, to be quite honest, he looks a shadow of the player, just like Denisov. Now, I've heard a few mumblings on, on Twitter of people criticising Yuri Semin, his tactics, not getting the right shape or best formation out of his players. Now, I think with the age of his centre-backs, with the age of his midfield, I think the, the back five is probably what local should play going forwards. You switch to the back five, brought Benedict Havarez in, right centre-back, and they still were just brutally outperformed by what I think is a weaker Galatasaray team than we've seen in a long time. So I know that Russia, obviously, the RPL is now sixth in coefficients. It's, head of, it's finally head of Portugal and isn't trying to catch up to France. But I, I, I just think when you compare them to European, other elite European sides, it's just a gulf in quality. The elite end of the RPL is just nothing compared to what it was five, six years ago. And I think in hindsight, maybe... If, a loss away to Galatasaray is what you, exactly what you'd expect. But to lose 3-0 like that in the first game, the first what, Champions League game in 14 years, I believe, it's just the worst possible start. And Richard, I mean, James talks a lot there about the sort of the age of the squad, and that's a topic we often visit on um, on Russian football. We've spoken a lot about the national team, and of course, we've mentioned the Loco here. Do you think that... Given the nature of the... I mean, this is part of a wider discussion, really, rather than a specific game, but obviously it's quite relevant here. Yeah. In that the the fact that the Russian league is generally quite slow-paced, and then it's that gulf in between Russian Premier League that James mentions and Europe, is that the cost here, where Russia's top team just can't match it on the European level? I think you... Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, James. And um, one thing I'd also like to, to also bring in there is is I think one thing that's definitely a fact to know, I think not just with the Russian League, but all these other mid-ranking European leagues is I think these big new television deals in leagues like England and Spain and Germany is having an impact now as well. Because in the past, you used to be able to, used to, be able to like see, you know, the likes of, you know, your Russian sides, et cetera, be competitive against these, um, against these bigger European teams. But I think now, like any hopes of catching France in the top five European leagues, I think they're just gone now, to be honest. Um, it's, yeah, the intensity level of the competition compared to the big leagues in Western Europe. Yeah, you, you're looking at clubs like local as, as they showed in that game. Yeah, just to lose 3-0 away was... They just look, yeah, they just look tough it. And I think that's definitely been a factor. So let's move to the other game because, again, not a great result here. We expected Siska to at least, well, credit due to them. They were 2-0 down and they went 2-2. But this is a game that a lot of people looked at and thought, right, Siska, if they can win this, they can really sort of 
got a good chance in that group. And Richard, I'll stay with you here. I mean, credit where it's due to come from 2-0 down, but I'm not quite sure about this result still. It's still a disappointing result, yes. Um, it's still a very disappointing result. There's no question about that. It was a game of two halves, I would say. Um, first half, Pilsen were the better side. Siskar were really, really poor. And then second half, Siskar came to life. And I mean, I think the penalty they got at the end was justice because they had a goal incorrectly ruled out for offside. Um, and it was definitely a game of two halves. And yeah, the, a point was a deserved result in the, at the end. But yeah, definitely, it's not a great result for Siskada. It's it's a decent result considering the circumstances, but in the overall picture, if they have if they're going to have any chance of getting through to the last sixteen of the Champions League, this was a game they had to win, and that disappointing first half performance could prove costly. Um, I think they might just have enough to get the third place ahead of Pilsen in that group and secure Europa League football for Christmas at minimum. But for qualification um, hopes, yes, definitely, it's a blow. And James, what were your thoughts on that game then? Yeah, I, I agree. You can't look past it. It's disappointing. I mean, both sides realistically aren't going to get anything from Roma or Real Madrid home or away. So you've got to look. And it's, it's basically a direct shootout for the, for the Europa League spot between Cisco and Pilsen. 2-2, disappointing in the face of it. Probably should have done better. The golf and quality is just massive. And those Cisco are going through, like I say, with with Gala, they are going through a transitional period at the moment. The last B. Brashnako, the last... Uh, Pontus Vern Bloom amongst many other players, uh, Vitinha in the summer, and replace them with a very young side. Ironically, at the weekend, it was actually the kids' uh, fan group firm of Siska Moscow. It was their 20th anniversary. And I think that's really indicative of Siska right now. With the, they've got the youngest average age in the whole of Russia, uh, Russian prof- professional football, apart from probably Chertanovo Moscow, who seemingly play everybody 16 or younger. <laughs> but I, I think they're just, because the, they are such a young side, they were overawed by the by the occasion, by the experience. A difficult away game and quite a vicious and voracious atmosphere in, in Pilsen. That's why they started so slowly. They were all purely awful up until they scored the first goal. They were terrible. Couldn't get any foothold in the game whatsoever. One of Suska's best players, Nikola Vlasic, was completely outplayed by this Pilsen midfield. As he finally got into the game more, as the team themselves got away from the like the occasion, got, got their own game under control and got back into it, they scored a, one good goal and another brilliant last penalty, which you can't really beat as an away fan. So I still think they'll take them back to the Luzhniki, where they're playing the home games in the Champions League this year. And I, I think they'll beat them there and get through in third, which, looking at the group itself, is a, is a good result. You can't take it away from them. But it is disappointing to see them... Oh, I don't want to say crumble under the pressure, but just... Pilsen didn't play too great themselves. It was just the one, the one striker, Mikhail Kremchnik. Sorry if I butchered that, but he scored the two goals and he didn't play that great. It was kind of easy in the first half of Pilsen, which is worrying going forwards. But like I say, once they get the foot in the door, these young players get used to playing elite level football. I think they'll scrape through. So let's look ahead to the, the next games then in the Champions League and then we'll talk about the Europa League results. Um, Siska at home to Real Madrid. Well... I think we both know, well, we all three of us know what's going to happen there. But actually, locomotive <laughs> at home to Schalke, Richard, this 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 is a chance for them to possibly get back on course with Schalke's dodgy Bundesliga form. Not that I know much about the Bundesliga, but I know that much. You could describe the build-up to this game as dire versus terrible or awful versus abysmal because Schalke, I actually watched the second half of Schalke losing to Freiburg um, two days ago, actually, and... Um, 
Yeah, they played quite well in spells and then they, they conceded a goal and again, the heads went down. Um, and yeah, five straight defeats in a row after coming second last season at Bundesliga. So yeah, this is going to be um, quite an interesting an interesting test for Loco. Yes, they're in bad form, but Schalke are equally in bad form as well. And um, Loco play Schalke as first of two consecutive home games in the Champions League. So the motivation should be to get this as the springboard to start the season. I know they won in the um, the Russian Cup yesterday against Baltica. Um, I think it was on penalties or after extra time, I think. Um, but they, they they won yesterday in the Russian Cup and uh, they got a home match against Atmat Grozny. So that's the that will be a good build-up. If they can get a win against Atmat, I think they have a chance against Schalke because Schalke, like them, are a side bereft of confidence and they have to travel to Russia. So whilst Lokomotiv are not in a great place at the moment, I actually think this could be a chance for them at home. Um, what are your thoughts on that particular fixture then, uh, James? Yeah, it's tough to agree. I think even though Loco are in poor form, Schalke are a strong team. But apart from, I don't know, there's a few stars. There's a, obviously Salah Sane, there's a Sebastian Ruzzi, the got from Bayern Munich. They've obviously got former Dinmo Kiev winger, Yefen Konoplyanka. They've got some, and I mean Harit, they've got some good players. But away in Russia is one of the most difficult places you can go to for any side. I mean, obviously, in the past... <laughs> A lot of Russian teams have been rolled over at home, but let's just let's just ignore that for the purpose of this argument. Uh, Dominico, Dominico Tedesco has uh, had a poor season as well. He's it's kind of a bit, little bit of second season syndrome where he's he's, ta- he's been criticised quite a lot for his tactics in the league, very naive. And it's kind of the, the same fear that I have on the back of head, my head about Siska Moscow is existing for Schalke as well. This is kind of the young kids on the block against the old granddads in Lokomotiv. And... You've got Loco are too good to continue this form. The players that are, are just way too strong for this level, or, or for the, the level of form that they're showing at the moment. So it's it's got to come good at some point, and hopefully it'll be next week against Schalke. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw, to be honest. So let's run through the uh, Europa League results now. We had, um, well, I, th- I think I went through them earlier, but that's uh, let's start with the rapid uh, 2-0 beating Spartak Moscow. James, I'll, I'll come to you straight away on this. Again, similar to the Loco situation, isn't it? Yeah, Spartak are absolutely awful. They were, they were terrible against Rapid Vienna. Where we they, they couldn't get a foothold in the game whatsoever. I think they only had two shots on target throughout the whole game. Uh, obviously, Luis Adriano was suspended after violent conduct in, in the second leg against Pauk. So for this game, in the next two, they've only got Zeluish to rely on, who is, don't get me wrong, a, a very effective physical target man up top. But is he going to get the goals against in this such an elite level of football? No, I don't think he will. Even against Robert Vienna, who themselves are going through a terrible start of the season, lost the derby against Austria Vienna just three or four days before the game. So I know it's a way; it's obviously difficult. But Spart- you've got to look at the quality Spartak have got. Even losing Promes, which we'll get onto later, they've got to come through that game, and they simply just did not perform. And even more worrying is this disturbances going on in the background between arguments between the captain Denis Koshakov and. Obviously, Massimo Carrera, there's players out of form, there's players injured, they've just lost the star player without replacing him. I think Spartak are in a lot of trouble domestically and in international competition. Just just very quickly, James, just for the listeners who don't know, just um, go through that that feud that's going on with Carrera and uh, Glushkov at the moment. It's proper modern yeah. football, isn't it? So it's it's kind of been lingering for quite a while. There's, there's, there tends to be a split in the Spartak camp where it's the legionnaires, the foreign players, against the, a lot of the older veteran, older head Russians. 
Uh, on one side, it's very clearly Denis Klushikov, Andrzej Yashenka, uh, Dmitry Kombarov. On the other side, there was promise. Uh, Luis Adriano, Zeluis, etc., Pedro Rocha. Uh, it started in the summer. Now, there's rumours, obviously rumours, This is, you can't quantify this with fact at all, that Promes wanted to stay at Spartak if he was made captain by Carrera and by Fadun. Apparently, Carrera was more than happy with this, but because Grushakov is such an influential character to the Russians in the dressing room, who were afraid of taking the captaincy away from him. So Grushakov was kept as captain. Obviously, Promes went on deadline day to Sevilla for well, I consider a paltry sum, especially considering they don't have enough time, anywhere near enough time to replace him. And then that's kind of festered. Klushakov got uh, dropped two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. Uh, hasn't been playing. And then in the build-up to the <laughs> Rapids game, there was this sort of social media storm of Klushakov and Yashenka liking posts about getting rid of Carrera, about uh, insulting Carrera, wanting them sacked and all sorts. They were both suspended from the game under a cloud. Uh, Carrera, in his pre-match press, con- press conference, was uh, was approached about the suspension, and he merely responded with the quip that, uh, "Oh, the, the they're not suspended. They just merely didn't fit on our bench." Now, this is the captain and one of the most experienced defenders, not fitting on their bench in quotation marks for the opening Europa League group game. Yeah, so he's obviously just pulling the wool over her eyes a little bit there. They've been suspended. There's, there's, the rift has existed for quite some time now. And there's, there was a lot of people uh, questioning, is it a good idea to suspend your captain and one of your experienced players the day before such a crucial game? Well, honestly, yes. Krushikov's been terrible for a while now. He's been absolutely awful. Uh, there, was, there was mystery over why he didn't get picked for this Bornaya squad in the summer. There were rumours of a knee injury, rumours of another falling out. Rumours of him being just too big of a character. But in, in reality, he's just not performing. He, he hasn't performed since Spartak won the title. Every time he gets on the pitch now, it's just head up, look to shoot, head up, look to shoot. There'll be options wide, there'll be options to the left. And he just keeps his head up and just straight up, just blinker, tries to shoot every time. He doesn't try and spread, uh, spread the pass. He's always out of position. So I think this has been coming for quite some time, to be honest. And even then, after the game, there was more rumours about Krushkov's personal life, which I'll not want to air on on public, I mean, people can go find that after one, two. This is not my position or place to say anything about uh, his personal life. But it just shows that this is a player who's obviously highly disrupted and disruptive. So I, I'm, I'm squarely on Carrera's side about getting him out of the team. But no matter who's in the right, this is the worst preparation possible for any game. It's, it's classic Spartak. One team that's not in such... <laughs> Yeah, one team that's not in such uh, bad form and of course played Spartak recently is Zenit. They're top of the Premier League at the moment, uh, Richard. Drew away at Copenhagen in the uh, in their first Europa League match. What are your thoughts on that result? Is that good enough for you? It's not the worst result in the world. Um, I thought second half they were a little bit flat. I watched the game. I thought second half they were a little bit flat uh, in terms of performance. However, one thing I will say is, is that that could be their toughest away game out of the three, I think, because Bordeaux are in a bit of a mess at the minute in France, from what I've heard. Uh, I think Gustavo Poyet left them, um, and I expect Slavia Prague, I, I do expect Zenit to beat them, possibly both home and away. So actually Copenhagen could be the toughest game of the three uh, falls in eight, I think, away from home. And the very fact that even though they didn't play particularly brilliantly and got the point, that's still a good result. I mean, I think, you know, there's the old formula, isn't there, of, you know, in Europe, 
in the group stage in the group stage of the competitions you've got to win your home games and draw your ways and that will guarantee progression and i think i think Spurs, sorry sorry Zenit, um despite you know that um that copenhagen equalizer they were, they were they played okay in the first half copenhagen on the better side of the second half but despite that copenhagen equalizer i still think it's a decent result for Zenit. it's not brilliant it's not perfect but it's not a disaster and uh, james what about your th- would you go along with what richard's saying there yeah, yeah, definitely. I was actually hoping that the, the next game against Slavia would be the Danny Derby, but unfortunately he's uh, moved back to Portugal now. He's no longer at uh, Slavia Prague. But on Zenit last week, I, I think Robert Mack scored the scored the Zenit's goal. And I think I really enjoy how Semak's taken outcasts from the past players that uh, Messier Luchescu and uh, Roberto Mancini both signed themselves and then kind of cast adrift, or, or ones that they inherited and then cast adrift. I mean, You've got Robert Mack, Sebastian Driussi lost his place towards the end of the season. Artem Zuba was shipped out uh, Arsenal Tula. Shatov, Shatov went to uh, Krasnodar on loan. Uh, Luis Nieto was at Fenerbahce. He's, he's brought all these players in. He's put an arm around the shoulder. He's got he's coached them in the right way and he's just got them playing to a, a really good level in the RPL. I mean, and in the Europa League, Mack was Mack had an excellent game away to Copenhagen. So it, this league Thanks isn't... Yeah, but this league isn't a league where you've got to have the best players in the world to win. It's not like you've got to have a thirty million pound Witzel signing or thirty million pound Hulk signing. Mark Zuba Shatov are more than good enough to go and storm the league. So, and he's just brought them back in and straight back down to basics. And that front four that I mentioned earlier is now the current front four for Zenit, the highest scoring team in the competition. So I'm a big fan of how what the job that Semak's doing. And I think they will they will get through this group. It's it's not the hardest of groups, but like Richard said, that was a that was the most difficult game, and they came away unscathed, really. So let's uh, we're going into a nice crescendo, some sort of from negative, got a bit positive with Zen. Now we've got the most positive result. That's Krasnodar's win away at uh, Turkish side Akisar. Sorry if I've butchered that. Um, and James, <laughs> just just staying with you here, Krasnodar. We've I mean, I'm sounding like a broken record, but again, we're going to speak about that potential, aren't we? Yeah, Krasnodar very much in the Siska boat of a little bit in transition with obviously Smolov leaving. It's a big transfer, but Smolov's been terrible for about six months at least now. He, 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 can't, don't get you wrong, the last three years he's been absolutely fantastic. But if you're going to get rid of him for a decent amount of money, that was the time. The time was then for Krasnodar. Got rid of him. They've got Ari in as an experienced backup and the most exciting prospect in the league in Ivan Ignatiev. And I was actually speaking to uh, Will Baumgardner, who's a writer for the site and like our local Krasadar expert. And he was mentioning that Krasadar, like, they weren't too good against Akeja Spore. They were a little bit nervy. They only just won 1-0 against what you'd expect to be quite a, a, not the best side. They're currently bottom of the Turkish Superliga, the first time ever playing in Europe. Uh, they hit the post once, that easily could have went in. And he was basically saying that they just went there, got the job done and came out of it quite unscathed. Played a strong team as well. But uh, I think I'm going to mention anything Krasnodar, it's just future potential. We're the, this is kind of like Sergei Galiski's dream in action, or the very start of it, at least. He's got, he's got his youth coaching that's went through this group of players for the last four or five years. He's got uh, Ignatia starting to come into the team. Zhigilev's made a few appearances. Obviously, even now he's out on loan at Ural Katerinburg. But you've got to look how exciting the potential of this team. I mean, even now, they're already performing. They've won five games in a row in all competitions. But yeah, you, you got to give it to them. It was a, they got the, they went there and got the result. So that's all that matters at the end of the day. 
And Richard, uh, next up for Krasnodar, of course, is um, severe in terms of Europa League, sorry, is severe at home. That'll be a much bigger test for them. It's going to be very difficult, yes. And uh, Sevilla just came off uh, the back of a superb win last night against Real Madrid, 3-0 at home against Real Madrid. And um, Andre Silva looks on fire at the moment, the guy they got on loan from uh, AC Milan, the young Portuguese striker. However, having said that with Sevilla this season, it's going to be definitely a test for Krasnodar, guys. But uh, one thing I will say is is that they have had a few inconsistent results at home. They lost 2-0 to Getafe, earlier on in the season. I think that was their opening game of the season. They lost 2-0 to Getafe. So going for one extreme, losing Getafe at home to beating Real Madrid at home. And Getafe, I think, are definitely a poorer side than Krasnodar. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it, it will be a very tough test for Krasnodar. Um, however, they are playing at home. And, you know, this is a project now that Galitsky, as we've been saying, with the, the most important thing with Krasnodar that we have to mention is the project. And under Galitsky now, it's starting to come together nicely. I actually tipped Krasnodar to win the league on our, our, RPL, our RPL chat earlier on in the season. And um, Q my first couple of weeks, I felt a bit nervous about making that prediction, having a couple of stuttering results early doors. But now you're starting to see it come together. Um, the young players, the technicians in that midfield, you know, your likes of Cla- the Klaassens, the, the Quavers, and um, Pablo Mamayev is in great form again. And then the discovery of Shapi and um, Ignatiev is great. So, yes, it will be a tough test for Krasnodar. However, I think they can get a point from this game. I really do. I just want to add one little thing on Krasnodar. That one of those iffy results was actually the Spartak game. Krasnodar absolutely slaughtered Spartak all match. Spartak were terrible. And then right at the end, Spartak got like a lucky set-piece goal, as they've done all year. I mean... I think every like, all the goals this season are from set pieces. Maybe one wasn't. Maybe one was open play. But uh, every single goal they got from a set piece was since and since then, since they lost that game, they've kind of found a new potency to them. They've, they're not just kind of passing it around for for the sake of it, which you kind of get sometimes with Krasnodar. As much as I enjoy the football that they play, because it's just completely different from anything else seen in Russia right now. Sometimes it's kind of passing for the sake of it. But since then. Krasnodar came on, on, on a huge upward curve. Like I say, they're unbeaten in five in all competitions. They haven't lost since that match at all. And Spartak, in comparison, are the complete opposite. So, yeah, I, I can't agree more. So let's move to uh, domestic matters now. We'll look back at uh, Spartak and Siska Derby at the weekend. Finished 1-1. Um, Richard, not the best of games, but, you know, we have to mention it with the Derby. No, um, it's certainly on what on what I saw of it. It didn't look. It was not the best of the games. No, not the best of the games. No. Um, however, two fantastic goals. I mean, that Fernando free kick. I mean, Fernando, I have to say, has been one of the guilty parties in Spartak's recent poor form. I think he's been off colour for a little while now in, in terms of his performances. He's been quite poor, but that was a great free kick, and uh, hopefully that will be the reinvention of him. And um, for Saskar, well, Vlasic. I mean, that was just an absolutely superb finish. Um, and isn't it interesting with Lasic how last season he went from the Croatian League to the Premier League is such a huge jump. Whereas now we're probably seeing that the Russian League is actually probably would have been a better move for him, something like that, to go to Siska and then go to the Premier League. And I think we're actually seeing that now uh, with Lasic and his performances because he really has stepped into that huge void left by Alexander Golovin, who, who obviously went to Monaco in the summer. And um, he's stepped in and um, he's been absolutely fantastic so far for Siska. It's, it's, it's um, an inspired signing. And yeah, two not a particularly great game, but two fantastic goals. Both superb. And James, what, what was your take on this derby then? 
Yeah, I've got to agree. Vlasic was probably Cisco's best player and the only one, or one of few maybe, Chalov early on as well, who, who looked like breaking down what's quite a solid Spartak defence. I, I kind of tweeted after the game how, how good Vlasic has been, uh, how strong how strong he's been playing and then it, got, it kind of went mini viral among, amidst like a load of bleary eye confused Everton fans who were just, what? Who, who is this guy? He was, like, he was terrible for us. He, he played three or four games and he, he looked utterly awful. And I agree, I think it was just too much of a big step. You can't go from bit part player in Croatia to get expected to week, perform week in, week out at the Premier League. It's, it's not even the quality jump, it's just the type of football that's played in that league is just so difficult to grasp to. It's a shame for Siska that he's only on loan, but for his personal development, I think this is going to put him in strides, absolute strides. Uh, I, I think I'll have to talk about Spartak, unfortunately. <laughs> but... Uh, they were lucky to come away with a point at best. They didn't really look like threatening Siska whatsoever throughout. Uh, a f- absolutely fabulous Fernando free kick. Got it for them again, which he does quite often. But this game is kind of like the game of two halves. As in, not just that one went up early, the other conceded, uh, equalised later on. It was, it's a game of poor quality, but it's, it's the old versus the young, like the experienced versus the youthful. And in these derby games, form usually goes out the window. And you expect the team with the more experience of the derby itself. Obviously, this is a, this is a side that won three one last year, Spartak side in the same game, but they just look completely and utterly toothless without Quincy Promise, and that's the biggest worry. Carrera's kind of tried to shoehorn Roman Zobnin into Promise's role, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm a huge fan of Zobnin. I think he's the most underrated player in the whole of the league. He's been brilliant for both Sponaya and Spartak for a good eighteen months at least now, two years, but. If you're playing Zobnin in that attacking role, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing in behind. You miss the proper Zobnin, the box-to-box midfielder, everywhere on the pitch, getting the tackles in, getting the balls in, jack-of-all-trades, spreading it out wide, keeping his head up, playing people in behind. And it, I think, was it uh, Zobnin got the third most assists in the Spartak team last season to, to promise directly, uh, oh. aside from... Sorry? Oh, wow. That's, I, 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 hadn't, I hadn't heard of that fact before. Well, yeah, it was aside from Luis Adriano, he and the promise himself, he, he assisted the most. So he, he's got the ability to play in that position. But when he is pushed further forward by Carrera, which is kind of forced to do because there's, there's no nothing else there. Sophie and Hanny's both unhappy and not playing very well. He even tweeted <laughs> in the last few weeks, it, he's trying to get a hashtag viral of hashtag free Sophie and Hanny. But if you put Zobin in there, there's, there's just nothing in behind. There's no legs. You've got the the F- Fernando, who moves about as fast as an iceberg anyway, in Glushikov, who just doesn't have, doesn't have these legs with him anymore. So it, it's ominous for Spartak at best. So you talk about, um, you mentioned that Zobnin shouldn't really be in that position, but you also then said um, that Carrera doesn't really have much of the choice. So what would you, I mean, we're all great football managers when we're not actually in a proper job, <laughs> obviously, but you know, what would you, what would you be doing then? That's the, that's the problem. What can you do? It's it's a case of wait until January, get through these twenty games, and hope for the best. It's just an utterly, utterly ludicrous decision to sell Quincy Promes on deadline day for a paltry sum. He's worth so much more than that. And there was, was rumours of him in January getting turned down bids for thirty million from Southampton because Spartak were happy with the thirty mil, but his agent wanted a five million rele- uh, signing on fee that that pay as well. And now they've got ten million less than what they could have got for him on the very last day with no time to replace him whatsoever. It's just so typically ridiculously Spartak. 
I think there's an issue as well with transfers where I think I was discussing with Richard and Alexi in the chat at some point where we were asking, like, well, who's in charge of transfers? Because it's not Carrera. But then again, it's not really Fadoon. It's 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 a, an amalgamation of a few different people who don't have any direction whatsoever and are always at loggerheads with each other. It, it's all, like Marco Petkovic is a free signing. He's a right back and he's been useless. He is absolutely awful. Uh, Carrera didn't even want to sign him in the first place, but now he's at Spartak. They just found somebody on a free transfer, filling it right back. Like, there you go. Yashenka's getting old. Let's just get him in. Well, he's terrible. He's not good enough for the RPL. And who would a who would a play instead of Promes? Well, it's it, you can't really criticize Carrera too much. He's loved by Spartak fans for obviously bringing the first championship title in however long. It it it's kind of got to be Zobnin because of the sheer lack of options elsewhere. I mean, Artem Timofeyev's back now, so that'll add a bit of youthful exuberance in the, in the centre midfield finally from a nasty ACL injury. But as far as I'm concerned, you just get Luis Adriano and Luis up top together and just try and outpower teams and just wait for the season. Wait, wait until you can try and properly, adequately replace Promes. Your hope is Pedro Rochelle come good, but God, he's terrible. So, I mean, that means, that result means that um, Spartak currently sit fourth in the league and uh, Siska currently sit fifth. Now, sitting above them in third place is FC Rostov. We remember them, same season that Leicester won the league in England. We thought we were going to have our own sort of Leicester in Russia with Rostov potentially taking the title away, but Siska won it on the final day. Uh, but now they're sort of going back to those dizzy heights, Richard, under Valerie Karpin. Very much yes. a, a mixed bag during his time, but he's, he's getting something right there. Yes, they've been very impressive. I, I think they've surprised a lot of people, um, just how good they've been. I, I thought the signs they were made in the summer, I thought they made some impressive signs. I thought they could probably get away from relegation, probably finish about eighth or ninth. But now you're actually thinking, with Locomotive in the mess that they're in at the minute, and potentially Spartak too, this is an ideal opportunity for them now to potentially even definitely qualify for Europe and finishing the top five. I mean, this is definitely an opportunity for them. Um, I still think the top three at the end of the season will be Zenit, Krasnodar and Saskar in no particular order, probably with Zenit winning the league. But this is definitely an opportunity for Rostov now to uh, to get into Europe. Um, they've signed well. Um, crucially as well with Rostov, what they do possess is that they do possess a lot of very experienced players who perhaps are not good enough for the top sides, like your Zenits and your Spartaks and your Saskars. But players like Yusupov, for example, in midfield, um, an excellent signing. Um, and they've used the transfer market very well. Bjorn Sigurdsson, excellent striker, um, fantastic in, in the air. Um, and some of the young players that they've brought in from the big clubs has been remarkable. Like, you know, they, they've, Ayaz Guliev looks a terrific prospect. Um, and Dmitry Skopintsev on, uh, at left-back has been absolutely tremendous this season. I think he will get a Spornaya call-up within the next um, two international breaks. Uh, some of his deliveries from out wide has been, have been brilliant. And um, I think it was for the first, the second victory of the season against Saskar in the second game. It was an absolute brilliant cross uh, that was headed in by Yornov, I think. So, um, yeah, Rostov, they've looked good and solid so far. And even when they're not playing well, they're not losing. That's what that's a very good sign. So I certainly think they'll be up challenging for Europe this season. Drawn their last three games, of course, Rostov. Uh, James, are there shades of Berdiev about this? Uh, but my but so just to follow that point up is 
they were so high under Bedadia of almost winning the league. That, and now that they've had this start, it's almost like expectations could possibly be raised, but they've got to be very wary of that, no matter how good this start is. Yeah, I think the... Well, I think the Berdiev... The problem is the Berdiev is always going to be compared to. Carpenter's always going to be compared to him. This season's always going to be compared to that brilliant season there three years ago. And I think that's dangerous. It is dangerous. Berdiev's kind of like a rule into his own. He goes where he wants and takes players where he wants. It's kind of like his own... He does his own little thing. What I would like to credit is the Rostov... Uh, the board. The Rostov board is basically the only... like. It's the only like thing that stayed the same since then. It's the only constant. The teams pretty much changed top to bottom. A lot, of, at least half of the teams changed from top to bottom. Uh, managers came in and out, but the board themselves, they were working, always working with nearly next to no budget. But they've rebuilt the sides, brought in Carpen, and they've got to be applauded for that. On Carpen himself, I think that is the part that is very kind of like Berdiev like. He obviously was his famous. His first job in management was at Spartak again. It was 2009, I think, after Michael Aldrup was sacked. Carpen was sporting director, and he was originally interim head coach and then took over as full-time head coach for a while. But, and he, he, he long story short, it was terrible. Uh, they lost to Angie, I think, in the Cup in 2011, and he finally resigned, and it was just, they were terrible in the league. I think they finished sixth in 2010. But, no, sorry, they finished fourth in 2010, but they didn't qualify for the Champions League and didn't get through the the UEFA Cup at the time, group stages. But he, this was Carpen, who never took had any coaching experience before. He'd only finished his coaching badges uh, a couple of months prior to getting the job, and he, he didn't have any form of coaching education. It, he, he may be a legend of a player and had a brilliant career at Spartak and in, in Spain for 10 years, but that doesn't always necessarily translate into the dugout. He just needed a little bit of time off, reevaluate his options, and he, he had a terrible start at Rostov. It must be remembered, he lost his first, four first games, I think, and it took him six weeks to get a single point. So it, it wasn't easy, but it, it, the, the transformation since then has been nothing short of brilliant. As Richard said, they've, they've signed effectively in the transfer market. They brought more Icelandic players in again. Uh, the two Icelandic centre-backs, I think, are the two highest-rated centre-backs in the league so far. Uh, the new fella up top who they got in, uh, on deadline day, Kjartansson, He's he made his debut against Ufa, played in the last 20 minutes, didn't really get involved in the game much. Started his first game against Sizeran uh, uh, midweek in the Cup and scored twice on his on his full debut. He, he's very physical. He's just like Sigurdarsson. He's a huge target man. And it, basically, Rostov are just playing the league how you should. He's playing to the strengths. So uh, you've, got to, you've got to credit them for it. But I like how... Carpens also brought in players, like developed players that you wouldn't really expect. Ilya Eguliev, the young midfielder, who spent a few years out on loan from Spartak, he was at Angie last season, and then went to Rostov in the, for the Clausura. Didn't really pull up many trees, but this year he's been one of the best, one of the best going. He's a one goal, two assists so far, and is involved in just about every single attack and move. And Richard, I mean, we've talked about Karpin's lack of coaching experience. And in fact, his last job, of course, before he's at Rostov, was uh, Torpedo Armavir. And they got relegated from the FNAL. So obviously that wasn't... A, and he's never won an, uh, an honour as a manager. So what do you think, perhaps more tactically on the pitch? We've talked about sort of signings and things, but perhaps on the pitch, what do you think that he's doing so correctly? Is it like James says, that he's just playing to the strengths or is it something 
something else as well. I think it's, there's definitely it's it's mainly playing to the strengths, as James said. But I also think as well that they've developed their game um, very very well. Um, what they're also very good at Rostov is they're good at the pressing game as well um, on the on the Carpin. When I watched them earlier on in the season, um, they're, they're they're pressing teams in possession and winning the ball back. Uh, there's other um, things as well. Uh, they're also very in the play. They're quite good at keeping possession. You know, they've got some good technicians in the midfield, such as Ionov. Um, so. Yes, they do like to put balls into the box um, in that kind of um, style. But they're also, you know, they've got a good pressing game, what you'd associate with side to get the ball on the deck and pass it around. They're quite tidy in possession as well. They can tough out results. Their versatility has impressed me a lot. Um, also in midfield um, as well, what I like about Carpine too is, is that in the midfield, for example, he's been very, very... Um, Strong this season, like Timothy Kalachov has been such a key player for them for so many years. But recently, Carpin has put him on the bench quite a few times, and um, the team has not, you know, has stepped up. And I think, you know, last season Kalachov was a key player for them. But and and you know, reliance on individual talent is sometimes quite dangerous in football. But what's been good this season is that a lot of other players at Rostov have stood up. And as James said, Guliev, I think, is one of the revelations of the season. And um, and that's what's good about Rostov. They've got this this young core unit at the minute. We're only going to keep getting better. Um, so, yeah, it, it's more than just playing to their strengths, I think. They've also um, got a flexibility about their style. They can press well. And, um, yeah, they're quite a tidy outfit of keeping possession as well. I know you've warned me not to, James, but both of you, both you and Richard, sort of, keep bringing back memories of Beridiev and you you tell me not to but it's it's hard not to get a bit excited <laughs> yeah I, I think especially with like that that year was it kind of suffered from Siska being the only team who could actually compete with Rostov this is kind of the same I mean they've got Siska themselves are a little bit in transition I don't think they're ready to win the league just yet Krasnodar again also in transition although looking admittedly I think a lot stronger than Siska if that's possibly controversial to say, I don't know. Uh, Spartak are massively on the decline, so Rostov feasibly could be up there purely from keeping it simple, playing their own game, not minding about any others, and just keep going. I mean, Zenit are going to uh, Zenit are runaway leaders. I'll be very surprised if Zenit don't win the league this year. Uh, but Rostov could could surprise again and get a Champions League Champions League game just by basically being that one. Every year you've got that one team who kind of sit deep. Hit the counter and just kind of boss the other teams. Like there's, there's a term in England called like shit house on the other teams. I don't know. If that's a great way to put it, where they just get all the big guys, go direct, hit it long. It's not pretty football, but I think in the RPL especially, it's very effective. Uh, any sort of young listeners listening, I apologise for that term. Go and ask uh, some elder people what what James just said, and they'll, <laughs> they'll explain it in a more they'll explain it in a more appropriate way. I feel, but <laughs> sorry about that. But um, so let's go on to this this final topic now, which is uh, Yenisei, who currently sit bottom of the league. They've had a bit of a fast, James. Let's be honest, going with their uh, home ground. So let's just explain that to the listeners. Yeah, I don't think it'll be Russian football news without some sort of crazy madcap story every single week what happens. So, this one's brilliant. So, Yanisei Kras- uh, Krasnyarsk have been playing in two men, uh, as Andrew Flint would absolutely adore us mentioning that name on the podcast, and it's, that's all we're going to mention. It's bingo without <laughs> Andrew here. It's two men bingo without Andrew. I can't handle it. I know, I, I hate to be the person who mentioned it first, but uh, we'll leave that small town in Siberia for a while. Where is it? But, um, where, where is it? 
Nah, I don't know. It's just, I've heard there's a crazy Englishman stuck in the snow somewhere over there. <laughs> yeah, I never heard of it. <laughs> but um, basically, they've they finally having to leave the Geolog Stadium because they can go back home. So they at the first Premier League, the first ever Russian Premier League match at the at their home in their home city last week against Ural. Ural beat them quite easily, but they still have to be proud that they've, they've finally done that. They finally can say we we are a Premier League city. Well. This week, Spartak come to town, and Spartak bring a. When whenever Spartak play, they bring their fans from Moscow and their fans from everywhere else, anywhere near where they're playing. So they're expecting quite a bumper crowd. Now, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of complications in the game, and there's rumours that they might have to swap stadiums. And uh, the NSA play their home leg later on in the season. There's also rumours they might have to play back in two men again. There's the reserve stadium. But uh, they've finally now been uh, accepted to play in Krasnoyarsk, which is lucky. But every day in the build-up, there's been talk of the ticket turnstiles not being installed. Uh, as Andrew wonderfully elucidated in our weekly newsletter, like sometimes there's a there's a problem with a pitch. Maybe the it's frozen or waterlogged, or maybe there's an electrical fault. But no, the ticket turnstiles weren't installed. Apparently, they think it's fine to host a Premier League game without any fans there. <laughs> I mean, Richard, we, I mean, the legacy of the World Cup, and we've seen it particularly, because a lot of the big stadium, the World Cup, are actually with um, lower division teams. And we've seen yes. a real spike in attendances there. And we've talked about the legacy being great. And then you get an example like this. And, you, and you've spoken earlier about the, the big leagues and Russia probably never going to catch those big leagues. This is the sort of reason why, isn't it? Unfortunately so, yes. Um, it's just, you know, that kind of story, just based based on, you know, the greatness of the World Cup in the summer and how, you know, a lot of these clubs got new modern stadiums, new modern facilities. You think, OK, this is the stepping stone, it's the building block. And then what happens? You, you hear about a story like this. I mean, that's just amateurish. No ticket turnstiles for the big draw against Spartak. I mean, it's terrible not having them anyway, but against Spartak. It's that's just completely unbelievable. But sadly, unfortunately, we've heard stories like this before, and you know, it's like I said before, one step forwards and two steps backwards. It's um, frustrating, is the word, uh, disappointing and frustrating. It is also very Russian football, and that's why we we love Russian football. To be fair, and I think, gentlemen, that, that is true. <laughs> I think we'll sort of bring it there, nice tidy into the topic. Just a few sort of promotions and plugs, if you like. Um, James, as your new role of editor in chief, I need you to recommend some pieces for the listeners to go and check out. Yeah, so we've got some nice little ones. We've got a, a few coming up on the site uh, pretty soon. We've got a. A look at, for once, a nice little look at the Fener L, because I think we've been lacking in coverage of the Fener L for quite some time now. So we're going to be looking at the two teams, uh, how, why Krasnodar and Spartak are pretty much dominating the league, and then the complete contrast, what the hell happened to Zenit. Uh, we've got another little look at, the obviously, the, the, the race for the Premier League, which doesn't include the two teams, remember, they're not allowed in the Premier League. So it's the, it's the next bunch, so it's the, the likes of Tambov, etc., the usual, usual suspects who are near the top. Uh, unfortunately, two men can't make it because they're constantly in a relegation zone. <laughs> but, um, and I also like to pl- do a little plug. Actually, it's not really for the site, but it's. Uh, I've just been looking through my Amazon Prime recently. It, it, uh, it is on topic, I promise. And there's a nice, there's a documentary. I know it's called Soviet Football: The Untold Story, and it discusses like the and it's blurb the dark secrets of Soviet football, and basically goes into the history of football in the Soviet Union. It's an hour-long documentary. I'll be honest, I haven't watched it yet. It could be terrible. 
but the fact it exists for Russian football is, is, is good in the first place. And I do know for a fact there's some uh, previously never seen in Western in the Western world uh, rare documentary footage of Soviet games, Soviet stadiums, football around the time in Russia, in Ukraine, Georgia, and actually footage of Stalin himself uh, attending a Dynamo game. So it'd be quite interesting just to give it a look anyway, even if it is a terrible documentary. <laughs> Yeah, you can watch it on mute if it's terrible, and you can look at the nice pictures. Is it in? Is it in English? Just as far as you're aware. Yes, it is. It's a core. It's core French and American created, but it's all in English. Uh, and the the title of it, just so people can look again. <clears throat> so that's Soviet football: the untold story. I found it on Amazon Prime, but not that I'm recommending it. You can probably find it elsewhere. Lovely. I'm sure there are more unsolicited ways that you can get hold of that. Um, Richard, seeing as it's your debut on the podcast, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, to plug your your own sort of social media so people can come and follow you because I'm sure people interested in Russian football will want to be following you. Yes, I'm on I'm on Twitter, Rich D Pike, um, and yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on I'm on Facebook. I've written some um, good pieces for the site. Um, it's from a few. It's from a couple, a little bit of a while ago now. But I, I recently wrote an article about uh, five things um, post World Cup what uh, Russian football needs to do to build on the legacy of the excellent World Cup. Um, I got a few more interesting article ideas in the pipeline too. So uh, please, please keep your eye out for those. And um, yeah, follow follow my work on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to do the uh, the Zenit Slavia pr- preview, um, building on my uh, Siska versus Pilsen preview. Um, so yeah, definitely check out the uh, Zenit Slavia preview, which I will have up. And I will also be doing an article about expanding on how we spoke earlier about um, how Sergei Simak at Zenit has um, transformed the club from the dark days of the Luchesco and the Mancini era. Now, you know, not just going out into the transfer market and splashing out big money on players, but how he's now taking past players who weren't really used or out of form or played a different position and moulding them into an excellent team. And um, and also managing players who were marginalised on the Mancini, Shatov and Zuba being two in particular. So um, that's another piece that'll be coming up for me very shortly. So yes, please do um, keep your eyes peeled for those. So lovely. That's uh, at Rich D. Pike. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Yes, yes. Lovely. So we'll look forward to those pieces coming up on the website as well. Um, as per usual, at Russ Football News on Twitter and then the Russian Football News Facebook page. You can take part in the Predictions League there. Just um, just drop up a comment on the page and then Andrew, of course, our predictions man, will help deal with it. And um, James, Andrew, I think, is in charge of the newsletter as well. So how do people sign up for that? That came around today, actually, didn't it? So there'll be a, another one soon. So you, you'll get yeah. the time for the new one. We've got a nice little weekly newsletter. So if you just... Uh... Give us a message, give the site a message on Facebook or just tweet us on Twitter and we'll uh, get you on the mailing list. Lovely stuff. Um, once again, gents, thank you so much. Great debut, Richard. Yeah, at, 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 just, check my, just check my Twitter, at richdpike89. Oh, right. Okay, so at richdpike89. Don't forget the 89 at the end. <laughs> Lovely. Again, Richard, fantastic debut, really insightful, lovely stuff. And uh, James, of course, great work as per usual. The new editor-in-chief, congratulations on your uh, on your new role. And we will see you on the next podcast. <laughs>